This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Hello, welcome to another episode of 15 Minutes of Football podcast in association with Big Heads Media and Transfer News Central. I'm Johnny. Jordan's here. Hello. And uh, yeah, I've got no witty remark because actually, um, <gasps> no, um, leaving leaving one's charger at work, one being me, was not the best idea. It means the laptop is on 50%, now 43 actually. Since, since, if that uh, means no attempt at witty remarks, then do it every week. Exactly. No, it's not 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 my finest hour. It means everything's been uh, truncated, which uh, Jordan won't understand the word meaning of, but truncated means shortened. Uh, so uh, that's what's going to happen. And we're just going to go straight in, I suppose. Uh, again, with no witty. Uh, well, that was kind of witty, but a lot to talk about, really, actually. Um, there's been a sacking. There's been a really big result in the North London derby. Uh, some interesting events in league and as well, particularly at the top on and off the pitch, um, and also uh, in- international um, break coming up. So that'll be interesting to hear a few early thoughts from from myself, and you know if you if you're that way inclined from Jordan. Um, so I think we'll start with uh, we'll start with the North London derby really, and uh, from the Arsenal perspective, and and how big a win uh, that one really was for Mikel Arteta. He is. Um, you know, he's had a rough ride this season, first full season in management, and he made a big call yesterday. Uh, I say yesterday because they were filming this on Monday night, uh, by dropping Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang because he was teaching him, uh, I suppose, the value, a valuable lesson of, of following rules and, and not thinking you, you can sort of not abide by the rules that are put in place by him and his management team. Big ballsy in a big game like that, but it, but it paid off and he's come out the stronger because of that, you'd imagine. Well, yeah, he's, he, I, th- I think it's quite fortunate it's paid off because had it not, had they lost, uh, I, I feel like a lot of Arsenal fans would have been blaming that, particularly if they did miss some chances. Uh, but yeah, no, it's worked out well for him and it'll be interesting to see whether that's something that continues in the future, whether whether he see, continues to punish Aubameyang and whether he gets him in the team again straight away or not. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's one of those situations really where Traditionally, Aubameyang past few years has been Arsenal's talisman in some uh, in, in some games, and this season not necessarily the case. He was the talismanic figure; that's why he got his bumper three hundred fifty thousand pound a week contract. Since he signed that contract, he's not quite been the same player. And I guess this was a bit of tough love from Arteta, but surely, as the manager, you don't want anyone, especially the captain of the football club, to be trying to undermine the rules that are in place. So, if Aubameyang has as rumours have suggested, been quite lax with his attitude off the pitch, and, he, and he's arrived late for the team bus um, to take the to take the team to, to the Emirates. Should surely that surely that should be just treated the same way as if any player was late. I mean, obviously, well, obviously, as a manager, you'd be scared to do it given the high profile nature of the player. But if you don't do it, surely that opens the door for different levels of um, disobedience throughout the squad. Absolutely. And particularly, as you say, because it is the captain. I think the in the short run, I think it's absolutely the right decision to do. And as I say, the fact it's paid off and they've won the match, it clearly is the right decision. I think my issue with it would be in the long run. Uh, obviously, they already may have an issue if they were going to try and sell him uh, and get, get rid of those wages. I think that that's only been added to by this uh, because I think it's, 
if you're another club and you see that that's something that you're going to get from Aubameyang on top of those giant wages, it doesn't really show leadership. So I think that, that that's something that could be a stumbling block in the future if they try and offload him. I think, I don't know, I, I, I think, I don't, I just see it as a manager stamping down his authority, no, absolutely, teaching yeah. Aubameyang a lesson, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him playing the Europa League on Thursday. I just think it was one of those situations where he's seen a laxness in his attitude, particularly on this particular date, the North London derby, and you rock up slightly later than everyone else uh, before to get onto the team bus. According to rumours, this is what we're led to believe. That yeah, this is, this is yeah. yeah, and it's just him saying, you know what, you might be the highest earner at the club, but that doesn't mean you should be treated any differently to anyone else. Does his form recently has been pretty good, so I don't think he'll be too bothered on that front. Obviously, they'd won the game, and after the match, he was quite obviously quite happy at winning. But also, he said, "You know what? Uh, Alba's going to be involved in the future. This is just me telling, laying down a marker." And and you know, I, I I just think that that's 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 uh, that's management. If this was say any other player except for Abamyang, we'd just be saying, "Oh." Well, he'll probably be back in the future at some point. We probably won't be making a big deal out of it. It's just because I think it was a Bamiyan that, yeah, that no, we were a bit I surprised. Now, As I say, I think for the short run, it is the right decision, but it's just the potential repercussions in the long run that could could be something that could bite, come back to bite Arteta. Go on. What, 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 what we'll would you see. suggest from that? Well, you... No, as I say, if, if if they are looking to potentially get rid of him at some point, I'm not I suggesting mean... maybe this summer. But no, but if if he if Aubameyang thinks that this is is an unfair treatment and wants to leave, then they're going to have a harder tra- a harder challenge challenge of doing that. I mean, I think I think given his age and given the wage, um, they've made the bed. They'll lie in that bed. Um, I don't see many suitors, particularly in the pandemic, irrespective of this. Abamyang's attitude or his lax attitude off the, in and around off the pitch has always been known from his Dortmund days, even all the way through his Arsenal days. It, it's been it's no secret. I don't think that'll distract any potential suitors. Uh, I don't think, to be honest, he'd have many potential suitors because of the situation that he's in, because of his age, because of the extravagant contract. I don't think they'll be looking to sell him because I don't think they can. So, you know, they've just got to make sure that he stays relatively humble, I guess. And I think that's that's Arteta's way of doing that, to make sure that he treats him just like everyone else would be treated. And if Aubameyang has a problem with that, then, you know, that, I think that's what says more about him maybe than than than, uh, than it would Arteta, um, you know. And uh, I personally think you have you have to lay down these markers from time to time. If you play it on Thursday, forget it and move on. I think, that, I think that's what will... Um, that's what probably will happen, or even, or even if he plays at the weekend, one of those two games before the international break, water off a duck's back. No one minds. Um, but what I would say is that to do it in a North London derby, as we say, it's a high risk manoeuvre, and Arteta's not been um, not being afraid of these high risk manoeuvres. He's, you know, he, he's 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 been he's not he's not sat on the fence too much. He's been quite authoritative in his words, in some of his decisions, talking about. Ever since he's come in, really, there were times last season during the restart, he was asked about his squad and he said, it's nowhere near good enough. I want a lot more to be added to the squad. Uh, when the experienced players were failing him this season at Christmas, he got rid of some of the experienced players like William and brought in young players like Emil Smith-Rowe. Bukayo Saka has he's played virtually the whole season. He's had a lot of faith in youth. So he's not been afraid to make the big decisions. This was another big one. Um, I suppose... Managers live and die based on making the big decisions. And so far, Arteta's towing that line quite well. 
is it that is it the fulcrum of a manager, particularly one that's upcoming, to be able to to make big decisions and for them to come? I mean, you could argue some managers try and avoid making the big decisions, particularly early on in a, in a managerial career. But Arteta's no been no stranger to that. I suppose. Do you, do you think that is the makings of of someone who's going to be successful, or do you, I mean that they, that they're willing to take those chances and things like this? Yeah, no, it's a good it's a good sign that he, he's got a good record in big games as well, and I, I think that. Learning from the best under Pep Guardiola is something that is maybe instilled that in him, uh, and it could be. A, it's maybe a little bit early to say, but it's a, a good sign for his career personally as a manager, and it, it could be something that lands him a bigger job than somebody else, because uh, I think it's just going to be better experience for him in the long run. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I think it's one of those where. Uh, Everything that he does, I suppose, at Arsenal is, is, is a, a sort of it's a second apprenticeship in many ways. Not not first one with Guardiola, the second one he's got. Well, it's not an apprenticeship; it, it's a very difficult job and it's a very big project at Arsenal. Whether he can fulfil it or not is isn't really. I don't think people will really say this is your fault. This is this is the problem uh, to do with Arteta himself. Even if Arteta fails to an extent, I don't think people will necessarily um, put that on him. Because the Arsenal job's a huge, huge job. And I think what he's done so far is 10th. Doesn't look great. I think you put that down to the one in 10, um, one in 10 wins just before Christmas in the league. That's huge. Um, you know, that that's that's the kind of form actually that many league, many clubs now have been experiencing. Okay, it's slightly worse than than the current form of, of certain clubs in the league, but the likes of Liverpool. Uh, United a little bit, not too much. Uh, Tottenham a little bit oh, since 2021, or, or, or they will have patches, not quite to that extent, but they will have patches where form has slid dramatically. I mean, the one in ten is ridiculous. That's relegation form. You take that out yeah. of it. Well, that was the point, wasn't it? Where people yeah. were beginning to to question his role, uh, yeah. and it's good to see that he has been able to turn that round. Yeah, I mean, you take that out of it. Recent form has been. More like what you see from a team chasing the top four. It's been very good, consistent. And in actual fact, like I say, in 2021, they've avoided those embarrassments that their rivals have had. And it seems like he's sort of stumbled across something. I'd say stumbled because he's made some big decisions in certain areas. I mean, what he has done with Saka, Smith-Rowe, now Odegaard's come in with the young players. He's, he's given them a platform and not, not everyone would be as willing to do that, even when the experience was letting them down. It was still big, particularly to push Smith Rowe to the forefront, uh, although Saka was already in, in place from, from the start, really. Um, I think he's brought Shaka on so much because, of course, under Unai Emery, he was off to her to Berlin. Now, people might say Shaka's not good enough for Arsenal. Uh, or the, I disagree Arsenal with team. I think he's a good player. Yeah, I think it's more down to the errors leading to goals. It's, um, you know... It, Eight major errors that have led to goals since 1617. What I would argue, I suppose what Shaka sympathises might argue, is the role he plays in the team's quite high risk. Means that he often drops deep to receive the ball. And obviously against Burnley, that didn't work out. But he often has to drop deep to receive the ball, play the ball to, to his teammates, uh, often in a, in a more risk uh, in a more risky manner than, than than maybe other players in the team. So I suppose yeah, that's why that's happened. It comes down to the way they're playing, doesn't it? That one in particular. And I think that that, I mean, we we discussed this at quite quite great length, but I, I mean, I thought that Leno was at least partly to blame, although 
Jaka was clearly mm. maybe the, the 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 main protagonist almost. I think that Leno was also partly to blame in it. it it's maybe something where it's a team's error led to a goal rather than an individual's player led to it. individual individual player's error led to a goal. Yeah, no, I think I think that's fair. Um, you know, it was. Yeah, I think I think it's it's part and parcel with the way Arsenal tried to play, which is almost I wouldn't say Manchester City esque, but well, I would actually because it is they do they do play a brand of footballs, particularly coming out from the back, where it's repetition, repetition, repetition. Even though they've not got mm-hmm. the same caliber of players, I mean, you can say the same with David Luiz, but actually, David Luiz under Arteta has been given a new lease of life. I think there's been many games this season he's looked very good. Um, he gets he has a bad reputation based on what I mean Gary Neville basically killed him didn't he by saying he was a what's it PlayStation defender but he, it, yeah I mean he did have some he has had some questionable games in in the past few years at least so I, I think that, that I think that that is the position that they ought to be looking at in the summer more than any other really mm. uh, obviously that relies on getting Aubameyang backfiring as well mm. and there, there are a couple other spots in that 11 but I think the centre back is the big one yeah, I mean, it, it is. It, it's interesting uh, that you mentioned that. I think, I, I think with um, with Albamia, I'm sorry, with with Louise, I think you've got someone who's experienced and he's he's very capable of coming out with the ball, and that's so important. I think uh, not necessarily for Gabriel to learn from Louise in that sense, but to learn from Louise's genuine want to be progressive with or genuine want to play yeah, no, it, it still is a good a good idea to the to the players isn't it he's definitely yeah. a good player to have around mm. in that kind of leadership role uh yeah and yeah i think gabriel's a good player it seems odd really for me to question the center the center backs when their defense has really been the, the their best asset this season they've been really strong defensively uh, yeah i, the, I feel the like best right back. defense uh in terms of expected uh, goals against. I agree. Yeah, right back is a position that they need to be looking at as well. Mm. Given you've got Bayer in, who hasn't been the same player for probably well for a number of years, and that last yeah, since that. he really burst onto the scene, he just doesn't seem to have improved much. He's uh, lost his. He lost a lot of the pace that made him so threatening. Um, yeah. Cedric as well was brought in, and he was Southampton's second choice right back. I actually think Cedric's done quite well. Uh, when he has played and come in, he's played at left back as well in Tierney's absence when Tierney's not been fit. But you do look at that and you do think, yeah, I would personally look at right back before centre back because I think in the with Louise and Gabriel, you've got two progressive minor centre backs, one who's experienced, one who's less experienced, but probably a better defender. Um I think that's not too bad. And Tierney for me, second, probably second best left back in the Premier League. I mean, I disagree um, with that, but I think right. he's a good left back. Oh, I think he's excellent, and I, and what I like about—I uh, mean, you've got—I think I think the thing with Arteta and, uh, and Arsenal is they've had the bad patch because they, they're making a lot of they're bringing a lot of players through, and they're making a, they're taking a lot of chances on a lot of players. But I think there's a few that you can nail down. Uh, I think Thomas Partey, great summer signing. Uh, yeah, Leno. I mean, has Partey been as good as maybe they'd hoped he would be, though? Um, it was a good signing don't get me wrong it was a good signing but I think injuries on top of a lack of form across the side has been something that has led to question marks on him personally I don't think he's maybe done enough Mm. in terms of grabbing games by the scruff of the neck and and really dragging them forwards no I think he's 
I th- I, again, I, th- I think it's more the collective team trying to find that identity. I mean, Atletico was fantastic. The team were all well drilled. They knew what they were doing. I think it, at, at Man City, uh, sorry, at Arsenal, he's still trying to ingrain that philosophy into the players. And there's a lot of young players that need to learn it. There's a lot of uh, experienced players, I suppose, that, that that need to come to terms with it as well. I mean, at first of all, is a Bamiyang's position. Even a Bamiyang, Mister Experience, is he a left wing? Is he a striker? He's gone back to striker. Played left wing a lot under Arteta. I think once the team finds the identity a little bit more, and everyone gets a bit of an idea about what they really want or what Arteta really wants, I think Partey will come into his own. I think he'll be one of the mainstay midfielders, like he has been when he's not been injured. Um, and then you've got Tierney. Le- I mean Leno. Leno has made mistakes. He's still a still a very very good goalkeeper. My only me. yeah, Leno. I think Leno's a, a very good keeper. My only question mark would be that he's not on the level. Uh, well, no, he, he's a good keeper for what where they are right now. As I said, what I was going to say is he's not on the level of maybe your Edison, your Allisons, but that's not the level Arsenal are at right now. And I think well, Leno is who else that is? good caliber. Who else is? Pardon. Who else is on the level of in in the Premier League? Who's who's on the level of the Edison or the Allison? Well, no, none. But if they want yeah, to be challenging go. for titles, then that's what they need. Oh, well, those. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. Which is why I also said that he's good enough for where they are now. I mean, yeah. I, I think in this. Yeah, I mean, it, I think I think where they want to be challenging for Europe. I think he's, a, he's still he's still very he's still a learning goalkeeper as well um, to a point. I think a goalkeeper's always learning, to be honest, even into the 30s. But I do, I, I still think Leno, even with his distribution, I think it's very good. Sometimes he makes the wrong decisions. But again, it's all about it's all about being as comfortable as you could possibly be in a certain style. And once I think they get that, I think again, I think I think this is a season of, of development. I think it's another season, and I know that's a really boring thing to say. I think they'll be better for it next season. And and as I said, with Tierney being the second best left back in the league, you disagree. But I do think that one of the biggest things about that is. He's a warrior. He's a leader, and most. But but he, but it's not just that. He's actually technically a fantastic player. Gets up and down the left flank like crazy, and defends really well. And, and, and you can see the difference he makes. Tax for Arsenal as well. So yeah, I'd no, say, he's a really good player. He might be the second best after Dean. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean Leno and Gabriel. I think Gabriel's got the makings of a top, 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 top centre back, uh, and he'll just get better again. Probably even better, maybe when they get another partner for him that isn't David Luiz. But I still think he can learn a lot from David Luiz in terms of the progressive style from it. But yeah, anyway, it, 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 that's sort of the Arsenal thing done, and we've got to, I think, in general, appraising of Arteta for what he's done, and not too dissimilar to a few weeks ago, but uh, highlighting right back and 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 so on, but also highlighting the importance that it is to make big decisions and. Even if you don't get them all right, if you start, if you get the majority right, like Arteta is doing, it's going to help you, I think, in the in the long run. When, especially when you want to put your stamp on a football club. So big one with Aubameyang, and it paid off again. So hopefully he can carry on in the same vein at the club, or at least the same vein as 2021 has shown. Anyway, moving on to topic numero dos, or number two, as it's called in English. Um, I mean, yeah, it's. Uh, We'll go. We'll go with uh, Sheffield United actually, because we could go for England, but it makes sense to group the, um, the Premier League accounts together. And it's, yeah, I mean, the amount of people actually that, that have said, "Why are they sacking Chris Wilder now? They're not going to survive." It does annoy me slightly, um, because I, I think, mean they're, they're not going to survive with him or without him. To be fair, <laughs> well, no, 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 I, no. But the thing that annoys me slightly is. They didn't sack him because they were trying to survive. Now, yeah, that's the whole no, point. Absolutely, yeah. They didn't sack him. It was more of a mutual. We want the club to go in this direction. Chris Wilder wants the club to go in that direction. The stars don't align. 
parting of the ways. And that's quite common at many football clubs. Um, the amount of people that have said that, you know, go with a narrative, oh, you can't sack him now. You should have kept I think just a bit of basic research, please. Come on. I mean, I, I'm not even a Sheffield United fan. And, and it, it's quite clear that this wasn't based on, on the pitch results. It could have been. But you'd have obviously sacked him then at Christmas. Yeah, you'd have sacked him when they were on five points, having played 20 games. I mean, yeah, yeah. from from a footballing perspective, it doesn't make any sense, but that's not why they've done it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And we said before, actually, one of the first podcasts we did was that they should follow the Norwich City model, which would be to stick with the manager, keep everything quite close, tighten it. and And then you'd imagine that they have a good chance of going up again. It, the, yeah. They had quite a... With the set of players that they have, uh, and I mean, even even the likes of, of Brewster, I think that he's he's going to be an excellent striker with the Championship. He's already proved that when he was alone at Swansea. And I think that he's someone that could get the goals that they need to get back up again. Now, obviously, without Wilder, that could be an issue. Yeah, I mean, it could. I think one of the things, actually, that that left them in good stead for going down Oddly, I'm going with the chairman, Prince Abdullah, here, actually. Um, because the big argument between the chairman and Wilder was about wage structure. Now, Chris Wilder last summer wanted to get... He wanted to compete for the likes of uh, Ollie Watkins and Matty Cash, and Aston Villa got both of those. Now, Sheffield United could probably compete for both of those players on transfer fees alone. On transfer fees, they could compete. But, unfortunately... Wage limitations, given the structure, the tight structure at the club, meant that they couldn't compete with what Aston Villa were offering, Cash and Watkins. So it meant that they had to overpay for people that would fit the structure, the wage structure. So 25 on Brewster, last year season 20 on Mousset, and also something like 18 million as well on Ollie McBurney. Um, so again, I actually we, we've questioned at the time, I questioned at the time, I thought, well, why have... Why have why has Wilder, why have the club gone for these players when they clearly aren't, you know, worth the transfer fee? And it's quite clear the reasoning being is now, now this is now the report's coming out that they wanted to go for the other players that are on the market, but they couldn't yeah. give them a satisfying enough wage packet. But the counter argument there is if they are in this position now, like they are, like they are in and they're going down, with that structure they've got in place now, there's Bill Jackie Elkers, the highest earner on, on 50k, and then the next highest earner is Sander Berger on 32. So Shaggy Elka could be released and they could go down and they, could, they wouldn't have to worry about a ridiculous uh, wage structure. But then Wilder would argue that's a defeatist attitude, I suppose, after finishing top half. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see both sides of the argument, really, because from Wilder's point of view, I think that without kind of letting the shackles off, it, it's almost you're guaranteed to go down, really. Uh, I think that one one positive from, from that kind of mentality is that they have unearthed some gems. And I think if you look at the likes of Jaden Bogle, who they signed instead of Matty Cash, I think he's an excellent sign. And I think he's someone that will really uh, prosper in the championship again. Uh, so so from that perspective, it's something that they, they've maybe not been able to get the first choice, but they've then unearthed a gem below that. Obviously, the strikers have been the big issue. Uh, and I mean, it, spending that much on Brewster was never going to keep them up uh, and as you as you kind of alluded to it's because of the wages but had they got ollie watkins i still don't think they'd have stayed up so it, it is almost risk management really uh, and looking into the long long distant future yeah i mean really good website i've used this a lot 
now you have it because it's in the notes. But uh, Spotrac is uh, it, it follows like all the payrolls of all the Premier League players across all the Premier League teams, and it's really good. It shows what players are on every week. So it seems a bit nosy, actually. I'm surprised this is uh, available for all to see, but uh, I like it. Um, and these these figures are quite accurate. Um, I know my team Burnley have a very a similar similarly tight wage structure, and the highest earner at Burnley is Ben Mee. He's on fifty five thousand pounds per week. There's a few on fifty. There's a couple on fifty thousand. There's a few below that as well. But again, Burnley operate on a on a similar or had operated on a similar philosophy that they don't want to risk or compromise the future of the club financially because if Burnley go down and the wage bill's really high, then you have a bit of a problem because you can't afford to pay such figures in the championship. You've got to insert all these clauses into contracts. Um, and also, what I would say is that when you do have a modest wage bill like Burnley's or Brighton's as well. Brighton have, I think, every every player's under 50,000 except for Lalana on 90. So they broke it, actually. So that's a bit of a different tact, I suppose. But with, Bur- with with the Burnley idea as well, when you've got a wage structure like that, you know that the players that are coming in, they're not going to be necessarily feel like they're too big for the club or for coming with these egos. Because in Premier League terms, 50,000, it's a lot of money a week, but it is a modest salary for Premier League players. And you get, I think, oh, absolutely. a bit more authenticity. Because if you get people coming in at 100,000 and things aren't going well, maybe I'm stereotyping, but some of those might be like, oh, I'm, I'm raking it in. You know, I'm, I'm yeah, on a really like, good good salary. So you're not going to get that. Well, it is a really good thing. salary, is it? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I wouldn't say no anyway. But uh, no. I think the, the one kind of question mark with that is, in the long run, are you really going to progress as a football club if you do have that that tighter restriction on your wage budget? I mean, Burnley are, are, are kind of building slowly upwards as they stay in longer and longer. It could be an issue if they do go down <laughs> at that point. Maybe that was the idea at Sheffield United. Maybe they were going to slowly progress that up upwards. Obviously, Sander Berg was, was quite a late signing and he's someone that I think they'd get the money back on straight away because he's a good player mm. and could easily get rid of those wages as well. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, touched on it slightly, and then I realised I could just use this as my second point, really, with Brighton having everyone under 50,000, similar to Burnley, tight wage structure, but they broke it for Lalana in the summer, £90,000. I mean, is that the point? I know they haven't really pushed on to a pot, to an extent, but they've seen an opportunity. Lalana, he was excellent, actually, at the weekend. He's an experienced uh, professional Used to be a, used to be regularly involved in the Liverpool team. This brilliant Liverpool team we've seen for many years. Um, is is that is that the, is that the point? Is that we can keep this structure? But you know what? If we see a player that would really help us, you know, to push this team forward, they've seen that in Lalana at Sheffield United or you know at any club like this. Is there a point in saying we'll make an exception for this one player because he might push us up a level? Or, but then at the same time, you've got the if you do that and the player doesn't do well, you've got all the players beneath him saying, I want more money. Well, that's exactly the issue, isn't yeah. it? I think that might be the issue that Brian could be having this season because, I mean, they have done that and look where it's got them. Um, they are playing some great football, though. And yeah. if you're a believer in XG, then they're absolutely flying. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that's maybe the, the kind of model you want to be looking towards. Maybe you just need to be more particular with the player that you are going to spend those extra wages on. Uh, I, I mean, I like the way Sheffield United are run. I think they're spending, they're spending the big money on players that they'll be able to get that money back on. I still think even Bruce, they'll be able to get the money back eventually. Yeah, I think he's... Um, 
I think he's uh, no. I, I think you're right. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know actually. Twenty five on Brewster. I'm not. Sure, I'm not sure. I can. Quite I think it'll rely on him having a good season and championship. <laughs> Possibly. Yeah. 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 You're probably right there. I think. I think it is. It, it, it's almost pragmatism of an owner versus g- genuine ambition of a fan and the manager who is Chris Wilder and what he did in his first season defied expectations. And if he hadn't done that and he hadn't got top 10, maybe we'd just be, there wouldn't be that clamber. I don't no, I know. It's, it's really difficult. Maybe, maybe people got a bit carried away because they saw Sheffield United top half and thought, you know, this Sheffield United team were close to Europe. People were going, they can't, can they? Well, they could have, but they were very close. And I think it's more than anything, just testament to Wilder and how good a job he was doing, though. The fact mm. that he was almost overperforming that much with those players. And I think yeah. that that is yeah. something that could land him a job in the Premier League again in the coming years, maybe. Well, yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, one thing that uh, the chairman did want to bring in was a, was a, a, fo- a director of football. And Wilder mm-hmm. didn't want that. He didn't yep. want that. Um, now, a director of football would help, theoretically, get bargains or players who would fit with the structure probably better than Wilder would because they'd have an insight into all different kinds of leagues. But the issue then is, is Chris Wilder going from manager to head coach? And obviously that was a big thing for him. Uh, yeah. and, and you see it at other clubs. I, I think you see it with Sean Dyche at Burnley, manager, not head coach, Jurgen Klopp. Manager, even though they've got a technical director at Liverpool, he's still very much the manager. You wouldn't get them yeah. bringing in a player. Yeah. No way. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, they tried that with Arteta, and Arteta's now manager, isn't he? So at Arsenal. Um, so I don't know. Where do you sit on that? Where do you sit on that one? Should should they have brought a sporting director in? Can well, you I, see the point? Can you see both sides? I I'm someone that I, I believe in the the director of football role. I, I think that almost having that separate accountability is something that is really important and and mm. getting someone with a proven track record in a director of football position i mean yeah. just looking at everton alone in in getting marcel brands our director of football we've mm. suddenly started buying players that fit a system that i mean and now we have ancelotti fit to his system but beforehand we we, we just had players from different managers that they'd wanted to sign that were, were not right for the next manager yeah. and i think that's the issue with the the model of having your managers in charge of their own transfers. You end up with almost dead wood of players that don't aren't, aren't the right fit for the next manager. But just to, I quite agree with that, but just to play with devil's advocate a bit, um, there is also the point that Chris Wilder was, I mean, Sheffield United was Chris Wilder Football Club. Basically, given what he'd done, he was Chris Wilder Football Club. So his argument yeah. would be, well, no, so, I can see his you know, point, the next manager. Yeah. Yes, sod the next manager. I, I'm, I'm the manager of this football club to a point. I mean, yeah, it, it's really sad. Either way, I mean, I did I did follow up a lot of annoying tweets saying he's not been sacked. I gave up after about three because there were too many. Um, but, very on character. <laughs> it's very on character. <laughs> um, but he, it, it doesn't make it not sad. It's very sad. Um, it doesn't make it not bad for the club. It is bad for the club because he yeah. was everything. He was. Um, but it was a bit more black and white than oh, I'm sacking him now. He got yeah. the relegation. Don't yeah. know why I'm doing that voice. That's my ironic. Is ironic voice? I don't know. But he, um, yeah, I think it's uh, it's a difficult place for them at the moment. They and Paul Heckingbottom in charge, the manager before Bielsa at Leeds. He doesn't have the best managerial CV, but he was only is he only in charge now because he was managing the under 23s. I yeah. imagine 
He'll t- um, he might take charge till the end of the season, to be honest. It doesn't matter, does it, really? No, well, I, I feel for him, really, because it could be a, a tough job to... I think I think the wheels could well and truly fall off for the rest of the season for Sheffield United this season. I mean, I think... People say, who should they get? I think Slavin Bilic would be a, a, quite a decent option for them because wears his heart on his sleeve, got a big personality. And I, and I did tweet this, I think, but you've got to have... To take on a role like that, which is still Chris Wilder FC, whoever takes over, it's still Chris Wilder FC. The players know that. The players still feel that, you, you sense. I mean, they never lost 5-0 ever under Wilder. They lost 5-0 against Leicester. I get a patched-up yep. Leicester, by the way. So you get the sense that it's still a bit in shock. So whoever takes over is going to have to have a strong personality. He's going to have to absorb the challenge. And he's going to have to believe in himself. And he's going to have to get a good relationship with the players. And I think Billich can do that. I think he's got the personality to take on the challenge in his own way, in his own style. I think he can get the players on side because he's that kind of guy. That's what I think. No, I quite like that idea. And I think another good thing with Billich is that he has experience in the Championship, which is obviously yeah, going to be important for next season. Uh, and just on Wilder, I think that both Crystal Palace and Newcastle could be on the phone to him maybe in the summer. I like I like the Newcastle idea, actually. Although, given... No, I do, actually. I, I just think, given his tensions with this chairman, I mean, Mark Ashley's not yeah, exactly... that could be a big issue. I mean, it's the same at Palace, really, though. To a point, maybe yeah. Not quite to the same extent. yeah. But I think that's a that's a good shout actually. Yeah, I, I think uh, one of those two clubs would be would be quite uh, yeah a, a good idea because he plays a, he plays a progressive brand of football that's also which it's it's got risk to it, but he can also do the opposite. He's not like a one trick pony. He, he can yeah. kind of he understands when you need to defend, when to be progressive. Although maybe that's got lost a bit this season given the results. But I think, like you said, really he exceeded so much last season, and and it was just almost a dose of reality this season for them and hopefully and we we wish uh, Chris Wilder well uh, wish Sheffield United well uh, yeah, you know we don't, we don't, we, I like both yeah I like both a lot don't wish anyone bad that's not that's not my style uh, or, or yours <laughs> uh, just as a disclaimer <laughs> uh, you know I'm not, I'm not in nasty mood today I'll, I'll leave you out to that but there topic three onto the side uh, a little bit we have an international break coming up can't say I'm overwhelmed with joy I mean I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm saying actually to a few people I don't know about you just generally I'm a bit sick of football <laughs> I am I, I could do with the international break no I I, I, no, I, I, I like podcasting you know I, I sometimes like talking to you but I don't like um, well I don't yeah you know, well it's, anyway I I, yeah I, I do I do I do find it such a it's been such a marathon this season because there was, it wasn't really the prescribed break from last season. It just sort of all gone together. Um, and then when you throw international breaks in there and you've got England, I still, I, obviously tournament football is different, but when you, you when you sort of in the... No, the, I agree completely, yeah. I, I agree. I, and I think, especially given the, the issues of COVID, I think that any international football is just an added risk that's maybe a little bit unnecessary. Rather but anyway, silly, let's silly, talk yeah. about the England squad. <laughs> yeah. It's not been announced, yet, has it? It's not been announced um, yet. But I mean, you not can make presumptions. Yet, the under 21s have been announced, and there's uh, called Smith Rose there, Dwight McNeil's there. Hooray. Um, ben Godfrey. Yeah, it's Aaron Ramsdale. So, uh, you know, there's quite a few uh, Premier League names in there. Uh, Jude Bellingham, I think, as well, isn't he? Bellingham's no, in there. No, he was one of the, the key omissions, I think, actually. Was he actually? His, yeah, there's some rumours that he might be in the, the main squad. But anyway, yeah, that's when I, that's probably where I read it. Actually, I did see Bellingham's name pop up. Um, that would be a real coup. I mean, I know he's been playing a bit for Dortmund. He's not been playing regularly, but you wouldn't expect him to be given his rather tender age. Um, but yeah, I mean, England, England as a as a 
you know, it's been a while since last international break. And, and one of the things, I think we'll probably discuss this, it makes sense more to discuss formational shifts in more detail, yeah. I think, after the international break, because we'll see how they've done. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I mean, we can maybe make... give our thoughts on what we do. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I mean, the, the intricacies of a battery. Because, I mean, I think there's still, I personally wouldn't, but I can see why you might want to set up in a back three. Uh, yeah. and, and it'll be easier to judge again. With the, the type of players we have, we're maybe not the strongest at the back. So adding yeah. that extra player could be a, an option, but it's not something that I like too much. <laughs> no, yeah, I think it's something you can, we, can, we can... It's hard to really dissect formation analysis until the podcast just after the international break or just as it's ending, because we'll have a bit to go off. We have nothing mm -hmm. to go off. The last international break was back three. Everyone was going mad. It's been a bit of time since then, quite a few months. Um, so it's really difficult. Um, I think, and this is more of a, a look, really. I know Alan Shearer's already done his 11. I think you see Alan Shearer's England 11. I've not known. Have you got any surprises in there? Um, a few. He did it a week or two ago. He'd done it because he got a column with The Athletic, hasn't he? Um, you know, and, I, and he put it, they put it on their Instagram and he had Pope in goal, actually. But I do, I do think that was, you know, as a Burnley fan, that, well, that warms my heart. I mean, even as an Everton fan, I think solely from a, a goalkeeping point of view in terms yeah. of stopping the ball from going in the goal, I think the Pope probably is the best option. I actually, I, yeah. Southgate's I, I, thoughts might be different. No, no yeah. And, and I, I've been impressed with Pickford recently. I think he's done really well. No, um, he has done well. He's, he's and, been much better form than he had been in the last couple of seasons. And, it, and if you analyse some of Pope's recent months and Pickford's recent performances, you'd say... Pickford's had the edge, and I mean that from a shot-stopping point of view as well, because Pope's yeah. been a, a bit... I mean, I, I, listen, uh, he's allowed to throw a few maybe moments in there, as far as I'm concerned. He's been fantastic yeah. uh, for Burnley. But when we're looking at it under the scrutiny, under the spotlight, uh, the reason why I think Pope was getting the, the, the clamber to starting goal was because Pickford was becoming one of those keepers at, at some point where it was, you know... Almost a weekly mistake, almost. You're, You're just waiting for it every match, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, he, he's, this season he does seem to have cut it out a little bit more. And even statistically, his save percentage is up this season mm. and he's in the top half of goalkeepers again. And it's progress. <laughs> it's progress. And yeah, I, I think I'd start him for England. And I think on account of his kicking particularly, I think because yeah. I think that that is something that he's very, very good at. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Again, you know, we have, we we usually have questions for topics, and <laughs> this one's very splurgy because it, it's very difficult to um, to say because we haven't seen the squad and we haven't seen the the way Southgate wants to play. We, we've got some general ideas, and again, I'm using that Shearer reference as a as a sort of template, really looking at who should really be starting and things. And I think some play the way. I mean, John Stones walks in now. He really does. I agree. Um, I agree. Easily the best England centre-half. Um, and that's, you know, without question, because England, at the start of the season, to be honest, when he wasn't in the picture, I, you were looking and thinking, do England have many good centre-halves? You'd say Gomez for his pace, because mm -hmm. that helps yeah, in the, the highlights. Yeah. And now Gomez has been injured, so it's been it's almost like a reversal. Stone's not quite as fast as Gomez, but, you know, almost Gerard Piquet-esque in the way he's playing, I think, for... For, yeah, for Man City no, absolutely and yeah. I think he's taken on added responsibility at Man City as well which is a good sign for the England setup as well because I think that that is something that we lack at the back uh, yeah. is that kind of yeah. yeah I mean 
I also think, I know you've also noted with a question mark. Oh, oh, you did note with a question mark. It's not there now. Uh, but I, I, I think that um, that Maguire, and it's going to get some stick because I know he's not well-liked, but I mean, particularly yesterday against West Ham, I thought he was excellent. And actually, yeah. since Henderson's come in, almost pushing the defence up a little bit, or they seem to be, I don't know if it's coincidental, but the past few times I've seen United play, they seem to be playing with a bit of a higher line. Even against City, they played with a higher line, to a point, uh, in, in phases. Um, I think he looks more at home. And I think he's getting a bit more confident in that in that red United jersey. He's starting to shout a bit more now, which seems to come with his confidence. Um, words will not be repeated. But again, I think he's growing after a bad start to the season more again into the Harry Maguire that United thought. They'd... I mean, when United first had Harry Maguire, by the way, he was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, in his start, he's gone through up and down since then. I think I can't look beyond that partnership. I really can't because you've noted other options, and you've yeah. said Tarkovsky. And I'm a Burnley fan, and I'd love to see Tarkovsky play. But <laughs> there's a difference playing for Burnley and playing for Man United. No, and that, and that that's just the true. truth. That is very true. My 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 issue with Stones and Maguire is just though I, I think both. I think they're probably the two best England centre-backs right now, but it's just the partnership and whether they would work together. And I think that it's almost like they're both, they're both kind of the second centre-back almost and they need that leader next to them. And that's why I've, I've noted Tarkovsky because I think he is that leader potentially. Uh, I've also noted Ben Godfrey down. I think that's mostly down to if we play a high line, he has the pace to get back. He's the fastest England centre-back. Uh, by quite a distance right now. Uh, and, and that's certainly one thing you're not going to get from Stones and Maguire, really. Um, yeah. I mean, Stones yeah. isn't slow, but but yeah, neither is fast as Godfrey. I'd say with Tarkovsky, I think Tarkovsky looks best. I think Tarkovsky is part, a partial leader. I think Ben Mee is actually the real leader in the Burnley defence, yeah. but Ben Mee doesn't have the technical excellence no, that Tarkovsky has. More of an old-fashioned... Yeah, that's why he I doesn't think that get that clamber. That's one thing with both Stones and Maguire, particularly Maguire, actually, that people don't seem to forget about is that they're both very, very good on the ball. Yeah, and yeah, they can both yeah. break lines, they can both pass through lines. It's a useful asset to have. Yeah, I uh, know. No, very, very good. Um, they are, you know, and, and, and uh, you're right. I think the reason why I put Maguire in, and you say, is the partnership good enough? Yeah. Uh, like I said, you've named names there. None of them fill me with immense confidence. And, you know, you almost go to it. And I don't think Eric Dyer's any better than James Tarkovsky. I really don't. I don't think he's any better oh, than no, Ben Godfrey. He's so. not. But, I don't think so. But he is really experienced. He is. He has scored the winning goal in a penalty shootout. He has been to tournament <laughs> before. And yeah. if you're calling on someone, in the say one of them gets injured and you've got 15 minutes to go in a big game... Do you want to call on someone tried and untried and untested or not really that experienced at international level? Or do you want to call on someone with a good number of caps behind them? Now, it's a different oh. question if you're saying, would you want them to play all the games? I'd pick Tarkovsky or, or Godfrey all the time. But if Southgate does pick Diane, that, that sticks in the back of my mind because I don't think he'd be picking him to play if he had, if he is picking him to play. Well, he's played a few actually recently. I'd be a bit concerned, but... Experience is key in big tournaments. And if you need someone to fall back on, you want someone with experience to fall back on, surely. You are right that in that specific scenario that he would probably be the one to pick. But I just think that his form at club level has been so poor. So Mm. poor. I think him and Sanchez at Spurs have both been terrible, really. And 
I mean, you may be taking because he can also play as a defensive mid if really needed. And in yeah. the back three, he may be slightly better, but I don't think he should be starting. And I mean, I, I, as you've kind of said, I think I would pick both Godfrey and Tarkovsky and even Keane over him. Keane's, Keane's a good shout. Uh, maybe it's the ex-Burnley in him that gives him the edge. Uh, but, he, he, you know, he's a... <laughs> He's another one I'd be looking at, certainly. And he's actually played for England quite a few times. He's built up a few he has, caps, hasn't he? Has. he? So, as, as an Everton fan, though, I would prefer Godfrey. I think he gives me more confidence defensively than Keane. Yeah. Um, I mean, what one thing that you look for in any formation, really, is tactical uh, flexibility. And yeah. um, when I think of maybe Rice in a defensive midfield role, in maybe a 4-3-3, I've thought about this. Now, in my kind of 11, which is a bit different to Shearer's and probably a bit different to yours, I'd have Henderson and Mount just in front of Rice. And what you have there is a bit of uh, a, a, a good sense of flexibility because Rice drops in and it becomes a back three. And then you've got two in front, Henderson and Mount, that are quite capable of playing in a 3-4-3 three, three as the two in the four. Um, a, a sort of dictated player like that. Uh, then you've also got the possibility of Henderson dropping in. It's a 4-2-3-1 and Mount's your number 10. Uh, but then, in my mind, four-three-three as well works really well because Henderson's in his box-to-box position, Mount's in his slightly more advanced eight position. I think that could work really well as well. And the reason why I put Henderson in is because, for me, maybe not on the ball, maybe not in terms of what he does in terms of magic and, and, and step-overs and fancy flakes, he's the best England midfielder, I think. I really yeah, do I think mean, that. I I agree, actually, that I, I, I like the four-three-three with one sitting, but I just don't know if Rice is that kind of player. I think that you're almost limiting him by doing that. At West Ham, he and Suchet both have licence to roam forward and they yeah. cover one another when they do that. And I think that that's something I'd like to see with England, just with Rice and Henderson, maybe. Now, obviously, that would mean change it, tweaking it slightly, so Henderson is slightly more defensive than he would be in that 4-3-3. But that, with Mount just ahead, is something that I think would work best. Oh, OK. That's cool. Um, I thought uh, Shearer, Shearer, Shearer had gone with, um, I think... He'd gone with Foden, Mount and Rice, which I thought was a bit oh, I think that, uh, top heavy, I think. Yeah. yeah, no, I agree. I don't think you can really rely on Rice to do that on his own without Henderson there. I think that if you were to do that, you would have Calvin Phillips instead, which is why yeah. I've written Calvin Phillips as that name. Because I think well, yeah, he's he, maybe the only, the only profile that can play that lone six. Yeah, I think I think Rice potentially can. I mean, you got to remember Rice has been he's been box to box, he's been sole defensive mid, and he's also been a centre back. So he's got an array of positions to it yeah. in his locker. He's a good player, Rice. He's a good player. And also, Henderson does a lot can do a lot of the running too. So he can make up a four two three one if needed, if they need to be a bit more secure. Uh, Rice can drop in as a centre back. He's got that physicality. He's got that composure on the ball uh, in, in a three. And then you've got, as I say, Henson and Mount just in front, and they can, if that, if that's the way England want to go, in 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 a in a facet of the game, just for fluidity sense. Because I think we talk about what formation do you want set up in. Formations change every ten minutes, but with it, it's yeah, absolutely, it, it needs to be fluid, doesn't it? Hmm. And what I'm surprised about is the fact we've agreed on on a, uh, a midfield. You know, I mean, <laughs> nice I mean, Henderson and Mount. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, up top as well. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. Uh, We've missed our fullbacks. No, yeah, well, well Shearer picked Chilwell, uh, but he did do this a few weeks ago. Uh, again, Even I was still surprised. Ago, yeah, no. I think Chilwell would be my second choice. I think uh, Shaw would be my first. 
And on the other side, I would go for Walker over Alexander-Arnold because Walker's more experienced. That sounds so boring with the word experience, but Walker's more experienced. He's a better defensive uh, fullback than Alexander-Arnold is. And yeah. he can cover more ground, which, you know, could be important. I mean, you, we I've seen Liverpool too many times this season and Alexander-Arnold's been exposed defensively. And that's a lot down to the injuries elsewhere. Go back yeah. to previous podcasts. Uh, but for England... I do feel I would feel a bit more secure with a tried and tested option there. Uh, given that he's you know he's, he's in his thirties, yeah, but he's still got so much energy. He's been in and out of the city team. For me, he's a more sure bet, a seven out of ten, a more safe asset than, no, than Alexander Arnold would be at this moment. I agree. He's almost kind of that that Goldilocks player, isn't he? Between Wambasaka and Trent Alexander Arnold, where Trent is the best by far going forwards. Wambasaka is great defensively, but a little bit to be desired going forwards. And then Walker is just kind of that one in the middle. Yeah, you know what you're going to get from him. And I think that as well, his pace could be something that almost counteracts a lack of pace in, in the defence otherwise with Maguire and Stones. Yeah, and you, and you also, you counter, you forget Reese James as well, who could easily as well be starting given his, yeah. given his potential. And I actually think if Southgate does want to play a, th- a back three with wing backs. James will be one of the first names on the team sheet because he's he's actually playing that role for Chelsea and he's already impressed so well for England in that yeah. role under Southgate. So it's interesting. It'll all it's, we'll have a much clearer analysis the second time we do this in about two weeks. But yeah. well, I think also, it'll be nice to look back on what we've thought as well. I don't look like looking I, back on things. Actually, I no, I do. With Shaw being the best left back, though. And just Absolutely. briefly, just briefly on the up the top, Kane picks himself, I think, and then Sterling yeah. picks himself probably, which is then you're probably left with either Foden or Grealish, and I've undenied, and I'd probably go back to Grealish and because Sancho and Sancho. I think Sancho's more for me now of the bench option, basically because I think one is not at his best season for Dortmund, two is not shone too much in an England shirt for me to make me think, and he needs no, to play every game. That's fair. That's fair. No, I. Yeah, I agree. I think Grealish is, it would be my pick with Foden on the bench, personally. And yeah. that's as someone who really rates Foden, but I just think Grealish has got that that magic. I agree. And he also steps up and he does... I mean, you could argue with uh, Dortmund, the key man's Erling Haaland, and I know that's Dortmund. And if Grealish went to Dortmund, the key man would be Erling Haaland. <laughs> yeah, but, absolutely. But when you can see someone absolutely so integral to the football club like Grealish is, when he leaves, you just see how they collapse. You've seen him, we've seen him for England a few times. He's not looked out of his depth at all really you want people who's going to embrace the occasion embrace the match and for me yeah I think I think umming and in between him and Foden I'd probably just go with him as well because as much as I love Foden his impact I think he'd be a brilliant substitute to come off the bench just like he does for Man City by the way uh, and it'll be a different story when he if he when he if and when or when he nails down a place in Pep Guardiola's Man City I think team when. I think I think when he does that I think that's when he probably nails a place in England's team but mm-hmm. at the moment, the options are very good and you've got a player playing regularly and uh, almost talismanically for Chelsea and Mount. And the same with Grealish at Villa. You can't really look beyond them too, I think. And it's, uh, well, Southgate might do, but uh, we'll, have to see in, uh, we'll have to see in a few weeks. You're in agreement with that as well, though? Yeah, absolutely. And I think a couple of the names, J- uh, James Madison as well, yeah. Yeah. It is someone that could be in with a shout. Uh, yeah. I've mentioned Ben Godfrey yeah. and also Bukayo Saka. I think he's an excellent player. I don't think yeah. he's maybe at that level just yet, but in the future, absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean, it's. I think we'll probably do a, a squad 23, but that doesn't make sense for a while, yeah. does it? 
It don't make yeah, us, no, don't we'll make do sense. that no. just before the Euros. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure, and a proper eleven, even though probably similar. Proper, proper eleven. 11. Yeah, proper we'll 11. try yeah, and agree yeah, on yeah. something. Then. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll have some graphics. I might have some graphics then. Yeah. Uh, well, could, we could we could tweet out what we what we think right now and then compare that in the future. Don't, uh, I, <laughs> don't know, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, maybe we'll see. We'll see. We'll hold that thought. Anyway, a bit on the uh, European football landscape now, and actually, let's touch on uh, a crazy story. Actually, in France, in many ways, on and off the pitch, because PSG lost. To relegation threat and none, two one at mm-hmm. uh, Pot de France, which is quite shocking in itself. It leaves PSG still uh, in second place uh, in Ligue 1, and that's probably not what people expected. So you know, I would say late, a few months into uh, Maurizio Pochettino's reign. Uh, obviously, Lille still top nil nil draw with Monaco, which isn't actually a bad result, really, considering they uh, Monaco are fourth and still within a shout. No, absolutely, it's a good result. Of going higher, a good team of Monaco, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll go to results on the pitch in a second, but off the pitch, really traumatic. I mean, Angel Di Maria, who had been robbed during you know, his house had been burgled during his uh, time at Man United, really left a sour uh, taste in the mouth. Many would argue that that's when his form really started to take a downturn because it had psychological effects on yeah. him. He hates Manchester. I distinctly remember his wife saying how much she hated Manchester as well after that, as well. Well, you, yeah, I mean, you, if that's Which your lasting natural. memory, yeah, if that's your lasting memory of the place, I imagine. I mean, I imagine that would um, that would be that would be that. But um, I think that I think that for it to happen once is awful, but for it to happen twice is, you yeah. know, and it's shocking. And what was more shocking, really, uh, just for anyone who wasn't aware, Angel de Maria's house was broken into again uh, this weekend. Um, but the more shocking thing this time was it was happening while he was on the pitch. A mm-hmm. technical director, Leonardo, for the Paris Saint-Germain technical director, actually called um, Pochettino. called Pochettino on the touchline. Angel Di Maria substituted. Pochettino goes down the tunnel with him, has his long conversation with him, comes back onto the pitch. At the time, many people thought this was almost a technical director taking charge. Yeah. Like, well, that's what it looked like, isn't it? I, I mean, I saw the tweets and that, that's what it did look like. Nobody really understood what was happening until yeah. France Football News let us know and it's awful yeah uh, and th- they've said that it was particularly violent as well it sounds really awful and I mean our thoughts go out to Di Maria and his family and hopefully they're all okay incredibly unlucky incredibly unlucky and Absolutely. I think um, yeah. you know it's you, you I, I don't know it's really it's really shocking and, and um, when it I guess I guess the presumptions like you say were um, were that Again, the puppeteering facts because Leonardo in the past had undermined Thomas Tuchel quite quite yeah. often, and and that led to the frustrations there. Uh, I'll touch on that slightly um, in a second, but it, just before I get onto that, actually, even though it wasn't necessarily mentioned, Di Maria was at the forefront at the same time as I told you just before we went on to the podcast. Also, uh, Marquinhos was also burgled during the yeah. game. It's clearly some kind of targeted thing, isn't it? They're, yeah. they're definitely yeah. well aware that they were playing at that time. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's crazy, and you know it almost makes the result immaterial when things like that are happening um, off the field. But when you when, when when you look at the when you look at things on on the field, shall we say? And, and again, thoughts go out to Marquinhos and family through these obviously probably quite distressing times. Um, when you look at it on the field, it is also quite not quite in place. Something not quite because when Pochettino came in. And PSG weren't top. People thought they'll get there. 
yeah, few games, they'll be back. Sorted. And it's not even the case that the teams above were necessarily, you know, just winning every game so they couldn't do it. But they, they've, they've collapsed on a few occasions. And the, the result against Nantes at home, bottom, you know, team threatened by relegation. It is. It's quite surprising. Uh, we take all that, all of those incidents into account. And you can say, well, that might have affected things on the pitch. I, to be honest, when Di Maria was taken off, I don't think that information would have translated onto the pitch. You know, I don't think that would have, they wouldn't have received that until after. No, so yeah, you can't really put that in. So what you have is, yeah, a, a team and a manager that's really struggling, I suppose, to motivate them because essentially what's happened, and Marker did a really good piece of this, I was reading it um, just before we came on, that what you got with PSG, and it's no surprise, is a team that's been that's essentially owned by a state, essentially, and it allows them to avoid FFP regulations to an extent. It avoids the, It allows them to avoid any financial hardship any worry about overspending and they've done it for many years obviously they've curbed that slightly because ffp is still a thing and they have to pretend like they, they adhere to it but what it leads to is a real devoid space of where, where that where that enthusiasm is supposed to be because they've basically bought the cheap rights to 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 the to league and and it must be really hard i guess for pochettino coming in to motivate them to do it again because yeah you you could argue with Bayern it's it's the same but Bayern do do it every year you know even with more competition so you you say when you know but I suppose the difference is that Bayern it's almost ingrained into the philosophy we are winners we are the best uh, and this is plus, new money plus I think the fact that Bayern have won recent Champions Leagues is a, another massive thing because I think with PSG it's almost Champions League or bust and they they put the lead to one side. And that's costing them this year, it seems. Mm. I th- is it a manager thing? Is it a structure thing? Is it is it a bit of both? I mean, we've we've all we've all said I've said that Pochettino was taking on a very different job at Tottenham, where he was building youngsters and making oh, them, yeah, giving them a good environment, and now he's taking on some of the biggest egos in world football, and he's taking on one of the hardest jobs I would say in world football because if you win the league, it doesn't matter. If you don't win the league, you're a failure. But if you win yeah. the league, it doesn't matter. You have to win the Champions League. Uh, and to be fair to Thomas Tuchel, he was the only PSG manager that ever took them to a final. And, you know, he's been sacked for a slow start of the season. So it's so it's almost mission impossible, isn't it, to take over? Yes, the, it's a the, tough job. And I think Pochettino's job's been made even harder by the fact that, I mean, one of the top three players in the world has been out for such a prolonged period of time. Uh, and obviously, he's still not back. And until he is, I think that we might see see them continue to struggle to this uh, to this extent, at least. It depends if there's any. It depends if his sister's birthday is on the horizon or. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, exactly. No, uh, uh, obviously, uh, no. I do hope no Neymar comes back soon because even in the Champions League, where we watch, where they play some of the biggest teams in world football like Barcelona, you want to see Neymar and Mbappe. Yeah. yeah, you want to see. You want to, <laughs> yeah, you want to see them all doing really well um, and all on the pitch. But um, it's yeah, I think. Um, uh, I don't know. It's it, it's one of those. I, th- I think it's really difficult because, again, when you say you've touched on it with Champions League and Bayern, I use the two examples because I think, well, first of all, the Bundesliga is more competitive than Liga because you've got teams that could still do pretty well in, in, in Europe, like Borussia Dortmund, like Leipzig. Um, you know, you don't necessarily get that across Liga as much. Uh, you can argue Lyon 
last season, doing something that not many French league and teams other than PSG had done, which was reaching the latter stages of, of the Champions League. But also, I touched on the new money thing a little bit before, because even though PSG have always been quite a big club, they're always there or thereabouts with Marseille and Lyon and others like this. It was never such a big gap between them. So you could never say they were the outright champions. With Bayern, you could argue, yeah, they do, because they've had some legendary players over the years as well that back that up. You've got Oliver Kong, Gerd Muller, or some amazing superstars. Oh, yeah, Robin Ribery. Yeah. So there were some superstars over the years, Schweinsteiger along. But with PSG, it's almost a bit new money-esque, like I say, with these are the superstars. Who are the PSG led? I mean, you could argue Ronaldinho's one, of course, but that was early in his career, not in, not in his prime. The players now that are playing in the private PSG, these are the these are going to be the PSG superstars that people remember. You know, they are Mbappe, Neymar. These are going to be the superstars. You you don't have that same heritage. You have oh, a heritage. Definitely not. Definitely not. And, not I mean, as you say, Ronaldinho. You've got maybe David Beckham writing a swan song of his career as well. And I think that is where, where PSG have really got kind of the almost the legends of the game more than anything else is is when they're not quite in the prime. Yeah. And and the ones now, like I say, you got they got a prime Neymar, theoretically. It should be a prime Neymar, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, arguably Mbappe's well, he's not his prime, but he's a ridiculously talented footballer, one of the best in the world already. Um mm-hmm. but it, it's difficult because already with Mbappe, you've got a World Cup winner. Um, he's won the biggest trophy in the world, and many people will say he's going to become one of the best. He's going to become the best player in the world. So he knows he, he is still very young. He can win the Champions League whenever he wants. He could go. He knows he could move to one of the uh, Spanish giants when they start if they want to to build back up, or he can move to any club he wants really. Um, oh, yeah, so, yeah. so how do you motivate him to say win another French league title? How do you motivate Neymar to say no? Absolutely. <laughs> And I mean, it's not going to be help if they do go and sign Messi either, is it? I think that's just going to add to the the issues. Uh, they, they might struggle to motivate them uh, consistently to win the league, and it's all out for the Champions League. It's almost instilling that mentality even more. Well, the point is, I suppose that the, the players could be at sixty percent and they should still win the league, but that's not quite the case now. No. Lille's doing so well, and Leon are challenging, and Monaco's doing well. And if these teams give one hundred and ten percent. They might just topple the sixty percent superstars, yeah, and I think that almost gives an added incentive for those teams as well. The fact that that PSG think they've they've got it wrapped up no matter what. I think that almost adds a little extra carrot just for them. And then at the point as well, I talk about you know, oh, the players struggle for motivation. Well, the manager, like <laughs> I just touched on, honestly, like if your job is to if if your job is a prerequisite, win the league. It's a bit like you know. I don't know. It's like one of the one of the early bullet points of the exam. It's like one of the first questions. You go into an exam, you practice all the hard questions, and you don't you, you sort of just take them as a given. Even guess, if like, well, that might be partly why they've gone with Pochettino because he just wants to win that trophy. But clearly, that's not how it's going down. I still think they'll win. I still think they'll win league one. Well, I personally hope they don't because obviously, well, I hope they don't. But I think they will. I think with 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 the with the way the French league is, it's been panned as a farmers league by many, and it would be so good for a team that's not spent a lot of money, that's set up well, like Lille, with a lot of really young uh, talents and a few experienced players in there as well. By the way, someone like that, or even Lyon, slightly less of a shock if Lyon won, but just someone who isn't who doesn't have the monopoly on everything, um, because it is almost an authoritarian rule, isn't it, by uh, by Paris, and it has been for quite a while, and. 
it would be nice to see a project win or or a more humble well you don't get PSG as a project I'd say a more yeah. a more authentic project win something that's you know kind of been built from the ground up not with and not with the ridiculous finances yeah essentially and yeah no so I think I think when you talk about you want a winner and you want someone who's going to win the Champions League I almost think in terms of a renaissance if Jose Mourinho's time doesn't work well at Tottenham, then surely, <laughs> so, honestly, I mean, the man's a serial winner to a point, even if he's not quite got the the method to build a philosophy. But then you look at PSG and you think, well, are they a club that wants to build a philosophy or are they a club that just wants to get the ball to them front three and let them do magic? It's almost to me, I say front three, I'm thinking Messi goes. It's almost to me. <laughs> not Moise Keane. No. Well, he's done well, hasn't he? But it's <laughs> almost to me like... It, it, it's not a philosophy it's it's get the ball up there they'll do it that's Win. kind of yeah no honestly honestly and you, I've watched them enough times to think even in the Champions League there wasn't much special except for Neymar and Mbappe they were the yeah. they were the I mean the you full- could argue that about the, the quality in the team though that I mean Marquinhos is, it, is great Verratti's great but outside of that and obviously the, yeah. the, the attack no. I am being a bit disrespectful to some there, aren't I? I know you're right. Verratti's a superstar. He is. Uh, and Marquinhos. And Keylor Navas, also a brilliant yeah. goalkeeper. Yeah. And Di Maria. Um, of course, yeah. And Icardi. But Icardi's a bit off. What I mean by it, though, is it literally is so... There isn't a system, really, where you think... Oh, you can argue when Verratti goes into the midfield, it's a bit more dominated. I think, I think he, he likes to run the midfield a little bit more. But primarily, it is those three. Or two. It's yeah. those two. And with Messi, it's those three. And then you look at Jose Mourinho. What does Jose Mourinho want? He wants individual brilliance up top and a solid defensive unit at the back. Yeah. It kind of makes sense. Mourinho would absolutely adore uh, both Verratti and Idrissa Garnagay. I think that's oh, would, almost yeah. his dream midfield. <laughs> yeah, no, he would. Uh, he absolutely would. And it, I, I do think and it's not a club where they'll necessarily want to build a philosophy, going to be lots of big egos, going to want to rely on that individual brilliance. I do think in the future that could be a possible move. I never thought Pochettino would be the right move, but honestly, I think Pochettino probably looked at it and thought, there's not many avenues for me at the moment. With Ole Gunnar Solskjaer maybe staying on at Man United for even longer, then, you know, again, that that's not an avenue to to explore anytime soon. So, yeah, yeah. He, he's just trying to find an easy, easy silverware as well. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. We'll have to see. Anyway, that's that from that's that from us now. Uh, I managed to do this actually. We're on twenty one percent battery. That's, that's right. not too bad. It's not too bad. Yeah. But okay. That was the goal, wasn't it? Really, that was the goal. Uh, join us next week. Special guest uh, Nishal will be on. Fantastic young journalist and writer. Big Chelsea fan. Big Switzerland fan. Of course, that's his country of origin. And yeah, we'll be delighted to talk to him, have him on. Uh, and until then, this should be on all good uh, podcasting retailers. Be sure to follow the Twitter page at 15MoffPod. Be sure to follow me at the Johnny Bentley. Uh, don't be sure to follow him because he's a private account, as, <laughs> uh, as at Ian Holstead reminded me. Thank you, Ian, for your kind words. Uh, I was sure to put that into effect. Uh, we should get Ian on, actually. If I get, ever get Ian on, that'll be a wonderful uh, discussion I'm sure we'll have. Anyway, so I uh, hope you enjoyed that. Uh, stay safe, and we'll hopefully uh, you'll hopefully hear from us soon, probably next week at, on Tuesday night or earlier. Thanks, everyone. If, yeah, if, if I feel like it, probably Tuesday night. Nice one. Take care. See you soon.